Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series. Your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the Invest in Women podcast series and to advocate on the industry's behalf to attract new, diverse talent. Schwab Advisor Services is passionate about supporting independent registered investment advisors with the insights and strategies needed to grow their business. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. We are now joined by Lisa Brown. Lisa, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks, Melissa. I'm glad to be here today. So I am a little biased today because I'm so thrilled. Lisa and I are both in the same city and she's familiar with my work in broadcasting. And now we're going to get to be familiar with her work in the financial realm. So let's start with how you decided to do this for a living. So I'm maybe a little unusual in that I entered financial planning right out of college. This is the only career I've had. I was in undergrad, I was majoring in finance and I met with the career counseling office one day and I said, I'm majoring in finance, but I really like people. Is there something I can do that, that marries the two of them? And they said, well, we've got this alum who is the director of HR for a financial planning company. Why don't you go meet with her? And so really the rest is history there. I entered financial planning um, right out of college and I got my MBA a a year or two into working because I was like, I'm in my early twenties. I don't know if this financial planning thing is right for me. So let me get my MBA as a fallback, just in case I know I want to do something in business. And 23 years later, I'm still here. Nice. Well, I mean, is that something that's unique that for you to do this only in your career? Or do you find in this profession, people tend to come from different backgrounds or different careers into this? So in my stage in my career and those that have been in in the industry longer, I would say it's more common that people made a career change into this field. When I was getting my MBA, I was taking some financial planning classes at the same time to sit for the CFP exam and everybody else in those classes were making a career change into financial planning. There's a lot of engineers, you know, a lot of very analytical people who, who made this change. We've also seen a lot of people who started out in the accounting field, got their CPA, spent time doing taxes and decided, I don't want to have a tax season anymore. Um, and pivoted into wealth management. So I would say with a numbers background, analytical, maybe that's been around the wealth management field and looked over the border and said, this looks pretty good. This looks pretty interesting. I've heard a lot of younger people entering the profession comment that one of the things that really intrigued them about financial planning and wealth management is helping people, having a real impact on people and almost like doing good with their career. So I think that wasn't part of my thought process two decades ago, but it's been one of the most rewarding things about being in this career is how you impact people's lives. Well, and I know you work with a lot of executives too. I want to talk about your book series coming up, but when it comes to working with executives and others in this industry as a woman, have you found that to be a challenge on any level or as an asset, or is it something you don't even think about? It's both. So I think it's more of an asset to be a woman in the wealth management field because there's just not a lot of us. Over the course of my career, I've definitely been approached by women who 
said, Hey, I'm really looking to work with a female advisor. Can, you know, can we sit down and talk? And I would say that's one of the, one of the things that has frustrated me a little bit is getting at times pigeonholed as just because I'm a woman, that means that I am meant to work with every other female client out there. That's not, I don't believe that's the case. I don't think that anybody, regardless of their gender or their race or religion should ever be pigeonholed as to what types of clients they will only work with, or you assume they're only work with. In the course of my career, I've served mostly male executives. Mm -hmm. I really like working with male executive personalities. I've got plenty of female executive clients, but I haven't positioned myself as the financial advisor who works with women. Now, let me expand upon that a little bit as it relates to the books I've written, which are specifically for women. So about seven years ago, I started to get what seemed like the string of phone calls from women in their forties and fifties. They got my name from so-and-so and they were recently divorced or recently, in some cases, widowed at a younger age. And they all had received this pile of money. Mm. And some of these piles were bigger than others. And what I found with the these women were they were all paranoid to make any decision with this pile of money they received. They were worried that it was going to be the wrong decision. They were worried they were going to become bag ladies. And what I found was growing up, daddy took care of the money for all these women. Yeah. They got married and their spouse took care of the money. And so they never had an opportunity growing up or during their adult life to be responsible for managing their own money. And therefore they didn't have what I deemed to be a basic financial education. That's why they were scared. That's why they were worried and paralyzed about making any decision about with their money. So I was frustrated by what I was seeing. And one day is, you know, anybody who runs will say you typically do your best thinking on your runs. I was on a run and I thought instead of being frustrated by what I'm seeing, I'm going to do something about it. And Mm -hmm. that's when I decided to write a series of financial books for women at different stages of their lives. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, you have one for women who are coming out of college. You have one for women who are in their forties and their fifties. I mean, I just, I love this because it's so funny that you talk about Lisa, how dads have taken care of the money and the husbands, even friends I know that are single and some that never married still have that perception. So it's not, it's not like they, we're living with a guy and they let him do the finances. It's just that so many women just have this perception that they can't handle money, that they tend to ignore the topic in their lives, regardless of their relationship status, which is so bizarre to me. It is. It's one of those things where we all know the earlier you pay attention to it and start saving well and making good decisions with your money, the better off you'll be. But there's really nothing forcing that issue. I found that in many cases, new clients that have never done financial planning, when they come to us, they're experiencing some sort of life event, which is now forcing the issue. Maybe they're getting ready to retire. Maybe somebody passed away in the family, birth of a child. Some Something is happening in their life where they're realizing, gosh, I need to figure out if I'm okay, if I'm going to be okay, or what I need to do now to make sure I'm on the right path. And, you know, there's also this saying in our industry, most people spend 
more time planning their vacation than they do planning their finances each year. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, that for some people, money can be very, it's complex and it can be overwhelming. And I think there's a lot of embarrassment out there. I think people realize they haven't paid attention to their money and they're almost too embarrassed to start talking about it and getting help. Right. And that's the worst thing you can do because just like if you have a health issue, the sooner you can get to your doctor, the better get a game plan going to, to address the problem and get to a good solution. It's the same thing with your money. The sooner you can realize that you're probably not in great shape and you can go get help, the easier it'll be to get on the right path. But I also think it's fascinating that this idea that all men can handle money, because I'm sure you've seen where there's guys who are like, boy, I need the help. And I have this pressure to live up to this standard, right? That I'm supposed to know all this and I don't know as much as I should. So I need the help as well. You know, Melissa, my husband is in the category, the unusual category of somebody who's almost clueless about money. Now, granted, he's married to somebody who deals with money all day, day in and day out. So there's no need to divide that responsibility equally in our house. We know I have that responsibility and he has other responsibilities. He's the type of person where he goes to the ATM machine, he sticks that debit card in and magically money comes out. I think that's his (laughs) definition of financial planning. Um, But he also just is not interested in it. And so what I've done is I have a piece of paper that we go, I update at the end of every year and we go over on January 1st every year and we go through all the assets and any of the debts, the liabilities. And I have all my username and passwords for the different online accounts that we have. But importantly on there, he knows if something happens to me, here's who you call. Mm. No, here's who you call to be your financial planner. Here's the lawyer's name and number. Here's the accountant's name and number. And so for my husband, Jason, that's probably the best we will, we'll be able to do from a financial planning standpoint because of his interest level, but he knows I have it. On the other hand, you're absolutely right that there's some men who have, you know, maybe allowed their family's spending patterns to be above their means for a number of years. And there's a level of maybe shame or embarrassment to admit that they need to cut back. And I've seen this with some clients where the spouses aren't always forthright with each other about the financial situation. And we all know marriage is hard. Uh, If you don't have good communication about money, it can make small marital problems even bigger. I've known couples who divorced over this very issue of somebody hiding spending. And so it was the case of you've broken my trust. And so what else are you not being honest with me about? And so they, and unfortunately they didn't make it, but you know, at least if you looked at my Amazon account, like every year if I'm doing taxes and well, not if, when, but if I have to look through like an Amazon account for something that I donated or something, you know, if whatever, <laughs> Look at how many orders I did just on Amazon in a year's time. That That's a sobering moment in itself because I don't realize what I'm doing. So I, unfortunately, I think I'm in your husband's category of look at this magic money that just <laughs> showed up and I have this credit on my credit card. But it's, I think that with money, so many people, it's such a personal thing. And that's what we associate our perception of people with. And so that may be another reason why people are just kind of ashamed to try to 
face something head on because their reputation's at stake. In my second book for women, the one that's called Financially Fit and Fabulous in Your 40s and 50s, I talk about the spending and saving equation and how that can eliminate all the guilt with your finances. And my point there is most people, when they think about what they're going to save each year, they look at what is my income? What are my expenses? Then they subtract out their taxes. We have to pay our taxes, right? So income Mm -hmm. minus expenses minus taxes equals savings. That's at the end of the equation. That's what's left over. That's how most people treat their spending and saving equation. My recommendation, and I talk about this in the book, is you need to rewrite that equation. So you take your income minus your savings minus your taxes equals your spending. That's at the end of the equation. So if I save what I know I need to save first, in some cases, what I'm saving lowers my taxes. So if I'm making sure I save my money first each month, whatever's left over, I can go on Amazon as many times as I want and buy whatever I want because I've already taken care of me first. I've taken care of my savings first. So if you can rewrite that equation for yourself, it eliminates the guilt and maybe some, if you're married, maybe it can eliminate some marital arguments about where you're spending your money. Because again, you know what's left over every month. You can go ahead and spend it. You've taken care of the savings first. Mm-hmm. Well, Girl Talk Money Talk is the name of that series, that book series, and all. And taking stock is also Lisa's podcast. One final question or one final thing to talk about is other advisors. Do you see mistakes that other advisors make when it comes to handling maybe women in particular in their maybe sometimes reluctance to deal with their financial matters? I think it's it's having the right amount of patience. I've had to learn this over the course of my career where I know I'm an impatient person. And if I can see what I believe to be the right answer for a client, I want them to get there quickly. But we have to appreciate that everyone's approaching their money from a little bit different angle, a little bit different experience. And as you said earlier, Melissa, it's emotional. Mm -hmm. So I have found that if I make a recommendation And even if the client doesn't take it right away, you can't assume they're not going to take it, that they're not going to listen to you. Maybe it's just not the right time for them to move forward. As advisors, I think most people would nod their head and agree that one of the top recommendations we make that clients drag their feet on is getting their will updated. Yeah. Always happens. You, no matter how successful that client is, they either don't have a will when they first come to you, or there's a pile of dust on it that is 20 years old. So, but we know how, as advisors, we know how important it is for somebody to have their estate plan together. So that's where we need to be persistent, but patient and continue to make sure the client is aware that we're not going to let a ball drop for them. That is very important to their financial situation. Now, on the other hand, if you like a certain new investment, and you think it's going to be great for the client and the client's not that interested, well, you know what? If it's not going to make or break their financial future, you've got to learn when to let that recommendation go. Again, it doesn't mean they're going to say no to everything you suggest in the future, but what is really critical for that client and what is almost a nice to have for that client? Mm, That's a good point because some clients may be worried about being taken advantage of or they're already coming in defensive right? When they come to the advisor. And so that's also a way to build trust, I would think, with the client and the advisor. 
Well, this is a trust business I and mean, this is a yeah. relationship business and you have to build that trust over a long period of time. And unfortunately in most relationships, you know, it can take a lifetime to build trust and moments to lose it. So as advisors, we have to make sure we continue to perform at our best and serve our clients at a very high level and always keep their interest first and foremost above everything. I think if you do that, if you always put the client's best interest first, then you'll have a successful career and you'll have long-term clients. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sitting here, I want to book Lisa every New Year's Day, just like with her husband, so she can come over to my house and say, okay, can we go over the financials? And can you tell me exactly what we where we are and what I can do and that kind of thing? I mean, I don't think you'll offer your, that service to me, but we do live in the same town. So maybe you can come over and do that if I talk you into it. Melissa, you don't have to talk me into it. I'd love to do that. That'd be super fun. It's a great way to ring in the new year. Exactly. But no, I think that's great. And that's what advisors do for their clients, basically. And I think that if you had, boy, if you polled most individuals, including financial advisors on some level, because, you know, sometimes what you do for a living, you're not always doing great in your own house. And if you ask people, who do you call if something happens to a spouse or a loved one, how many people would be able to answer that question? And you're absolutely right. It's the cobbler's kids that have no shoes. And I don't know how many financial advisors have made their legacy plan, their succession plan for their family. But that is, I think that's something we all need to pause on New Year's Day, maybe, and think through and sit down with our loved ones and make sure we have our own financial affairs in order because we we can't, we have to practice what we preach for sure. You just made a new tradition. I have forced you into a new tradition that you've inspired for everybody to take stock into the phone calls and the accounts that you need to get into in case of a tragedy or an emergency, as opposed to, or as well as taking care of your financial portfolio. So Girl Talk Money Talk Again is her book series. Taking Stock is her podcast. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. It was fun, Melissa. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to Invest in Women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.